And if we're all honest, Easter is kind of an odd thing, right? Because it's kind of like you don't know what we're going to talk about today, right? I mean, like, you know what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, on top of that, Easter has different kinds of meetings for different kinds of people. And how it's observed is kind of as numerous as there are busted NCAA tournament brackets, right? Too soon? Too soon for some of you? Some of you are like, no, you just lost my respect. I'm leaving as soon as I can. No, right? But there's different ways. There's many different ways that we all have experienced this idea of celebrating Easter or Resurrection Sunday. For example, for some of you, uh, Easter is kind of like, um, I don't know about you, have you ever got really excited about a movie and you started talking to people about movies and you started quoting l- lines from the movie? I do this all the time, by the way, because I, I, I kind of love, I used to watch movies a lot. And, and so I always, and sometimes I'm talking to millennials and I'll, I'll quote something like maybe from Dumb and Dumber or Tommy Boy, these movies that I think that are still like relevant or Princess Bride. I'm like, too brave. And they're like, yeah, you get it? You know, like, um, and they don't get it. They're doing what you're doing to me right now, actually. Um, so Easter kind of feels like that to some of you, right? You're really excited about it. It's like, you're telling people like, Jesus is risen. And like, you just can't wait to get to church so you can do the whole, you know, he is risen and you can hear, right? So some of you are like, yeah, I'm so glad he said that. It wouldn't feel like Easter if someone didn't do that today. And then you see the polite stares at you and like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, happy Easter. Um, Right? And, and so, for some of you, Easter kind of feels like that because you're really excited about Easter. Um, and, uh, and on the other end, maybe some of you, Easter on the other end is, is yeah, it's just pure fact. In fact, I, I, I met someone a few Easter's ago uh, who was visiting, and I didn't know who they were. I'm like, hey, it's good to see you. Why are you here? And they're like, look, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, I'm here. Uh, great thing. Uh, music's good. You're, you're kind of funny. Uh, but listen, I'm only here because my mom asks me every year. What did I do for Easter? So don't expect me to be back here. And like, I was like, you know what? I appreciate your honesty. That's really, really great. And for some of you, that might be the extent to which the reason why you're here, someone invited you, you know, that girl asked you and you're like, you know, hey, wherever you want to go, I'll go. That means going to church, you know, whatever. I'm with you. And so maybe you're here or someone promised you lunch and, uh, or maybe your mom made you come and they literally said you're not invited to the family Easter afternoon unless you go to church with us. And so you're here. You had no choice. And uh, for whatever reason you're here this morning, I do want to say this. I'm really thankful and we who are Clarity Church are really, really grateful that you decided to spend part of your weekend with us today. Now, no matter your reason, uh, uh, what I want to do real quick is just let you know, is just in case you don't know, or maybe you need to be reminded of why we, who are Clarity, do Easter and how this works. First, uh, I just want to say this. We believe that Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, okay? That's what we believe, all right? And so you, you have people clapping and stuff like that. That's because we, we really mean it. It's not like just some cue. I'm like, all right, make sure you clap when I say resurrection of Jesus, okay? Like we actually are really excited. Those who follow and love Jesus, we're actually really excited about that, okay? Second, we believe that we celebrate specifically at Easter that what we celebrate really at Easter changes everything. We believe that what we're going to talk about here in these just few moments, moments that we get to be with each other actually has the potential and the power to change everything. 
And because we believe that what we celebrate at Easter changes every area of our life, we like to, as classically we do on Easter, we like to launch on Easter a series that addresses real life issues. And so someone's like, that's not like a really Eastery video, Phil. Uh, but listen, <laughs> if you sat through a gathering today and maybe wondered, uh, maybe, I don't know about you, uh, that worship, like, pff, I was crying. I'm like, I get myself. And I'm like, oh my goodness. If you didn't get that today's Easter, I, I, I don't know how to tell you. But from here on out, if you're like, okay, you had me at the worship, but now the rest doesn't feel like Easter. If you don't feel like it's Eastery enough, Eastery enough um, listen, I don't think there's anything more Eastery than what we're going to be talking about today and what we're going to be talking about for the next, uh, really, seven weeks. And, and because, because here's the thing, we believe the resurrection of Jesus affects the everyday realities of our everyday life. And so, I don't know about you, but I've learned that it is easy to love those that are easy to love, right? I mean, that's, all right, we really, really took an, our morning off to hear you say that. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. No, but listen, listen, you know this, I know this. It's easy to love those who are easy to love, right? It's easy to love those who look like me, dress like me, believe like me, vote like me, are wired like me. The problem is, that, um, and I don't mean this in like a really arrogant way, it's actually probably a negative thing, but no one is quite like me, okay? <laughs> right? And there's nobody quite like you, too, if you are honest with yourself. Which means at some point in your life, within your relationships, people become hard to love, and you actually become hard to love. And in fact, love feels more like a wrestling match than it does some beautiful, altruistic outflowing of human interaction, okay? Where we sing kumbaya around the fire. Does anybody even sing that anymore? I don't even know. Front row does it. There you go. It's good. It's good. You want to know how to sing it? Sit in the front row next time. Over the next couple weeks, uh, we're dedicating a series to talk about the realities of what it means to struggle, what it means to wrestle with loving others, and how to overcome those struggles. And so uh, while uh, I'm just going to take some time to talk about it, I, I'm inviting you, actually personally inviting you to come back over the next few weeks as we continue to talk about this theme. But Specifically today, what we want to talk about, what I really want to talk about is this, is really begin this conversation of how we can, one, measure the actions of our life in a way that helps us understand, that helps me understand where I'm at in regards to the struggle of loving others, while at the same time also giving me a new way of looking at not only what it means to love others, but specifically why we are to love others. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about why we are to love others. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the what, but today I want to talk about the why. You see, loving others is a struggle we all face at one time or another with the people we actually want to love, right? Are you married? Do you struggle sometimes to love your spouse? No, no you're a liar. No, I'm teasing. No, no, no. 
That's what, that's what 100 years of marriage looks like, though, Dan. <laughs> I'll get there someday. I'm teasing you. It's only 90. Um, but no, I can't. just, you know, maybe you don't say that. Maybe, maybe you're like Dan, but you've said this, because I've heard it said to me. I love you, but I don't have to like you right now. <laughs> right? right? You've heard that. You've said that. You've thought that. Um, and you don't even have to be married to understand that. You just have to have a mom. <laughs> you just have to have a sibling. You just have to have a friend. You just have to work with someone, have someone interview at some time, have someone who is your customer, be someone's customer. All you have to do is literally be around people and you will find that people are hard to love. And the funny thing is, it's hard to love the people we want to love. It's even harder to love the people we don't want to love, <laughs> right? Thank you again, Captain Obvious. But listen, here's the question. I, I think I want to start off uh, maybe just asking. Just I'm putting it out there. You don't have to answer. But here's the question. If you could, would you want to be a more loving person? Right? I, I do, do. But do you? Like, and I, I really mean it. I'm not just like giving rhetoric because uh, I'm about to move to something else. Like, I really want you to consider that question. Do you? Because if you say no, um, you know, I, I don't know what to, I, I can't help you. Um, and that's, that's okay. It's okay. I'll try to be funny or whatever uh, throughout here to keep you interested. But listen, if you don't want to, if, actually, if you want to get better at loving, this is a game changer. Because from what we talk about here on and even the next weeks to go, really matters. And in fact, I would make the audacious claim that if you are someone, maybe if you're not a person who believes everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible, or, or you're maybe someone who followed Jesus your whole life, if you want to get better at loving, we all have something to learn about the resurrection of Jesus and the impact it has on how we could be better people that love. Okay? That's the point. That's what I want to propose today. Maybe another way to ask the question is, what kind of impact would you have in the lives of others, if you became a more loving person. Maybe, maybe you don't think about yourself. Maybe you're, 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 you just don't think, like, I, I want to be better. But listen, do you want to be better for the people you care about in your life? What would it mean to your son or your daughter if they knew that you were going to get better at loving them? What would it mean to you if you could go back in time and you could, you could know without a shadow of a doubt that your dad, your mom could give you the kind of love that you were hoping for? What would that mean? Maybe that question evens the playing field. Maybe you didn't answer the question, do I want to love, be better at loving? Maybe, you, maybe you're okay with that. But listen, I think if we were able to look at how our lives interact with other people, even just the people we want to love, I think all of us agree that we could get better at loving others. And the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at today isn't only a great way to illustrate what love looks like, 
But the passage is also going to illustrate why we are to love. And so today, I want to invite you, you can open up uh, whatever copy of the Bible you have, either on your app or if you have a a hard, you know, cover Bible. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, so go ahead and open up to there. Uh, If you want to follow along, you can also grab the program, uh, the insert inside of your program, which has notes, and you can kind of follow along and see, are we getting to the end? (laughs) That's kind of helpful for you if if you're that kind of person. It's also a place to take notes. But... What we're going to be looking at today, um, uh, just, just in case, I, I, just, I don't want to assume everyone kind of knows how this thing goes down when, when someone gets on stage and talks, um, especially here in this context. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the passage, and, and then I'll do, at, at the end of that, is I'll pray, and then we'll take some time to pull out some of the main points of the passage of the scripture, and then, uh, and then also along the way, and, and really at the end, what I hope to do is really invite us all to consider what life would be like if we actually believed in what we read as being true about who God is and what he has done. And ultimately, I would hope this would shape the way we love others and maybe give us a renewed or give us even just a new vision of why we are to love others. Make sense? So if you're not there, uh, Scripture will be on screen too. But let's just dive in real quick. First John 4, 7 through 11, and then I'm going to skip a few and hit 19. So here it goes like this. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not know God, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And God's love was revealed, revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. And later he goes on and say, we love because... He first loved us. Let me pray. Lord, I, I, I would hope in these next few moments that we believe that the gospel has the power to not just make our lives better, but to change a life from the inside out. Lord, I pray that no matter where we are coming from in our journey of faith, having been deep into it or not even started at all, I I most of all pray for clarity today that all of us would walk away from here clearly understanding the impact and the reason that we celebrate Resurrection Sunday 
and why we say things that we've said for many, many years. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that you would capture our hearts for those of us who love and follow you once again with the amazing, wonderful, reckless love that you have for us. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, the question I have is simply this. Why love others? Why love? Uh, This is the basic question that needs to be answered if we're going to be even understanding what it means to love others. I think there has been much discussion as of recent as to the power of understanding the why before the what, and I'm not going to add to that discussion. There are tons of TED Talks and articles uh, on the Googles, as the people say. Is that how you say it? I don't know. You can look up, you know, just search the power of why, okay? And this is nothing new. Actually, really smart people throughout the ages, even before there was an internet, understood this idea that there is a unique power in understanding the why before you look at the what of what you do in your life. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we all believe that the why, the reason, the motivation, the purpose for loving must be understood if people are to accomplish the what of love. I think if you're a smart person, you believe that and you understand that and you're still wondering when I'm going to say something profound. <laughs> and in the weeks to come, we'll talk about the what, about what it looks like. But today I want to talk about why loving and more importantly, why we should grow in our love for others and why this is essential. And so we just read this passage, and, and the question maybe that you ask, and at least the question that I ask as I look through this passage is this first question. What does this passage tell us about love? Well, I think the first thing it tells us is this, is that love can only be received only as love is shared. Love can only be received as love is shared. I know that sounds like very Yoda-ish. Mm, love can only be received as love is shared. Okay? Like, all right, you're just twisting the words around, and it sounds smart. You didn't say anything at all. Maybe I'll, I'll point to someone who's a lot smarter than me. In, uh, in his social rhetorical commentary of the passage of Scripture that we are in today, a uh, uh, scholar by the name of Witherington writes this, and I have it up here too if, if you want to read along with me. I'm not out loud, obviously. I'll read, but it goes like this. He says this, To be the object of love without sharing love with others may be theoretically possible, but self-corrupting if not destructive, contradicting the character and defeating the purpose of loving. At the same time, God's love frees us from self-concern and thus enables us to truly love others. It might be said then that even the power and the ability to love are a gift from God. This is not a natural human trait, at least when we are talking about fallen human beings who are inherently Self-centered. This is why our author says, we love because God first loved us. Notice that he does not say, we love God because God first loved us, though that is true as well. The point is that our entire capacity to love anyone comes from God's prior pouring out of his love into us. 
That's good. We know what love is because it was shared with us. This is because love is not an object lesson. You know this. Love is not an object lesson. It's not a list of facts that you give and therefore by assimilating information about what love is, therefore you become a great lover. This is because love is a lesson of observation. For example, children learn to love, right? Because we share love and demonstrate it to them. Not simply because they've been introduced to ideologies or even the methods of what culture would define as loving action. This is why your kid, for better or for worse, looks like you. Why? Because they don't do as you say. They do ultimately as you what? Do. We know that. And there has been tons of research on the effect that healthy models of love as well as opportunities to imitate healthy expressions of love and reciprocate love has on creating a healthy foundation for establishing patterns of love in both the emotional and behavior aspects of a child. And what's true about children, listen, it's also true about us and what's true about our everyday lives. Here's the funny thing. It's true about our spiritual lives as well. In other words, for a child to learn to love well, they must be first, what? Loved well. That makes sense. We agree with that, right? And we understand in this natural world, this concept, but I think we sometimes forget that the world even knows what love is because someone demonstrated love towards us. First John 4.19 says this, we love because God first loved us. And how did God love us? Verse 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son to the world so that we might, what? Live through him. And the greatest example of the love of Jesus Christ is, well, really the greatest example of love is Jesus Christ because he shared love in the greatest way possible. The Apostle Paul described the love of God through Jesus the best, I think, in a letter he wrote to the Christians in a city called Rome when he said this in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. He said, when we were utterly helpless, and some of you who have a testimony remember what it was like to be utterly helpless, right? You knew what it was like. This is your story. What does Paul say? When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at when? Just the right time. And he did what? Died for the good people. Died for those who were ready for him. Died for those who had thus far positioned themselves to be lovable. No? What did he say? And died for what? Us sinners. (laughs) Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Here's it. Here it is. Here it is. It's this, right, this, this, this is the verse right here. But God showed, uh, I love the uh, other translations to say, God demonstrated his great love for us by what? Sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
while we were still sinners. See, love can only be received only as it is shared. And this is what John meant in verse 10 when he said, love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so, if this is true about love, that we can only even begin understanding love by first believing in God's demonstration of love, receiving it as love, then how does this give us the why for loving others? I still haven't answered that question. Well, here it is, 1 John 4, 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. God loved us not so we simply could just be the loved ones, but so others could be the loved ones simply through our lives. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? In fact, the truth here is that God doesn't just demonstrate and share with us his love simply so we can just be accepted and forgiven and go to heaven, though that's true, but God's love is just not a love of grace and forgiveness. Here is the point I'm trying to make. God's love is a love that qualifies and commissions people to be missionaries of his love in their everyday spheres of influence. This is what John meant when he wrote in verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God loves us not simply so we could experience love, but so we could love others. It's not just the fact that you are loved so you can go, oh, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Well, peace and good willing to you and all that fluffy stuff we say, I'm going to go eat a big chocolate bunny now. Listen, I, maybe, maybe you're not a follower of Christ and, and this is just way over your head. Listen, if you love and follow Jesus, this is not an, a negotiable reality. We love because, why? We love because God first loved us. In fact, God's love towards us primarily isn't so that you can be loved and forgiven and you can feel good that you're going to heaven. You have been loved for that reason so that you can therefore go and love others in the same way. That Christ loved you. And this changes things. Because now you just don't love those who love you. But when you understand that Jesus loved what? Even us while we were still sinners. This changes, the, this changes everything. Because then, then you think about like, how about your enemies? And all of a sudden like, oh no. That part of scripture that I really don't like. When Jesus said, you must love your enemies. But see how that all begins to make sense? Jesus wasn't speaking out of altruism. He was speaking from a place of integrity for which he would go to the cross and die. He would be the demonstration of what it meant to love your enemies, to bless those that curse you, to good to them which hate for you, and to spitefully use you. Jesus gives us the model. You want to be better at loving? Look to Jesus. You want to be better at loving? Look to Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus was not simply about the permission to love but in light of all that God has done. It's about the responsibility and the wonderful opportunity to love. So, anyways, that was my, that was my preaching. 
So, so what do we do with this, right? So what do we do with this message? What do we do with these thoughts? What do we do with these things? <clears throat> I don't know about you, but if I was to be honest, I, I don't really find anything really inherently worthy. I, I don't mean this to be self-deprecating, but I, I just don't really see anything really worthy about me that the God of the universe <laughs> should send his son to die for me, much less know my name, know the hairs on my head, and even the ones that have fallen out. I just don't, if I'm honest with myself, in fact, uh, if this offends you, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, maybe let me speak for you. I think you believe the same thing. I think you know the same thing too. I think inside of each and every one of us, there are a number of things that if we were honest with, with, with ourselves, makes us inherently unworthy of the kind of love that God demonstrated towards us. That's just the truth. For one, I know, I'll speak for me, I'm a sinner. I know that I have rejected God who has created me by choosing to live life my way and for, for, for my glory instead of living life his way for his glory. This is what I do, okay? And many times I have turned my back on him believing the lie that I know my best interest in mind instead God having his best interest in mind for me. But despite all that, listen, while I, while you, while all of us were still sinners, and this is the good news, <laughs> God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to die on a cross. So we could be forgiven and given the chance to live out the high calling of demonstrating his love to everyone our life comes in contact with. This is why when we say God's love changes everything, it's because it does. God's love changes everything. Here's the crazy thing about God's love. It changes the core of our identity because God's love is a kind of love that's not based on who we are or what we have done. Think about this. God's love is a kind of love that is not based on who we are or what we have done. In fact, it's based on, it's really, it's not based on anything that we've earned. It's the kind of love that in spite of our unworthiness and in the midst of our mess and the midst of our brokenness gives us God's love gives us incredible value, doesn't it? And here's the good news, if you choose to believe it. We are deeply loved because of who God is, not because of who we are. Think about that. And what this passage in 1 John 4 is saying is that love is not to be understood as one of many God's activities but rather that 
uh, as one theologian, I, I love to quote him a lot. He says this, all of God's activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. Love is a very part of God's essence. And so God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. Because God loves us like that, our value as human beings is dependent on his character. Such good news. His performance. Thank you, Jesus. And this is a perfect picture of the gospel, which is this. We are more flawed and messed up and sinful than we ever really want to admit. But at the same time, we are more forgiven and loved and accepted by God through Jesus Christ than we can ever, ever imagine. That was a good amen point. We... Our love. I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll say it one more time. Just, I don't want you to miss this. This is really good. We are more flawed and messed up and sinful than we ever want to admit, but at the same time, we are more forgiven and loved and accepted by God through Jesus Christ than we can ever imagine. And the church says, What? Amen. That's right. There you go. So as we close today, if you're someone who has considered yourself a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're on the opposite spectrum. You are someone who today, maybe not complete opposite, and I want to speak maybe specifically to the person who, for who your faith journey has been kind of this teeter-tottering of the fence. You, you like Jesus, maybe you don't like the church. Maybe that's your story. Or, or, you, you've, you've been wrestling and you still got some questions and, 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 and maybe you, you have been told, I don't know who told you this, but it's not true, that like you have to believe everything the Bible says about Jesus to be his follower. Uh, just read the New Testament. Um, the disciples are constantly like, what? Uh, Jesus, we didn't know that about you. And Jesus is like, come on, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, like you didn't know this. And like, no, we didn't. And okay, it's, it was pretty messed up. And look, you can come to Jesus messed up too. That's why he changes you and you don't have to worry about being changed, okay? So you don't, you, remember, his love is not based on you. It's based on his character, right? We established that. And what I want to do today is I'd like to invite us. This is Easter Sunday after all. I'd like to invite us I'd like to invite all of you to follow me in a prayer as we close today. And this prayer, uh, by the way, doesn't make you Christian, okay? Uh, this prayer is simply expressing to God, God, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that when he died, he died for my sin. And now what I'm going to do is begin to transfer my trust for whatever it is I've been trusting in my life for salvation and for purpose, and for meaning, and I'm going to transfer that to you. And I'm, and, and I'm going to be trusting in what Christ did on my behalf, and I'm going to place my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, and for the empowering of my life to be a better lover going forward. That's all that I am asking us to pray. And so, here's, what's gonna, here's, here's what we're going to do. If you're ready to do that today, if you're ready to take that step, I want to invite you to pray with me. And, you, and, and if you're someone who loves Jesus already and you're like, man, I like that prayer. Can I pray that with you? Yeah. 
Daily repentance is something that God calls us to anyways. It's a good thing when the people know how much they are in need of God. It's a good thing. But maybe for you, you've never done that. Today, I want to give you that opportunity. And you can pray with your head bows, your eyes closed. You can pray with your heads unbowed and looking around, making sure no weird stuff happens. Okay. You can change the words. Maybe you're that rebellious kind. I'm not going to pray exactly what he said. It's cool. Fine with me. You can pray out loud as I pray. Some might. Or you can just kind of pray inside your heart. But listen, if as I've been speaking, there's something in you that's just gone like, yeah. I want to encourage you. Maybe you wouldn't quite define it as that. I'll just tell you. I want you to follow that leading of God's spirit reaching out to you, calling him, calling you to himself. And I want you today to begin the journey of submitting your life to Christ. So would you pray with me?